Today is October 9th, a perfect morning for fall grazing. 75 cows are turned into a new pasture. The next morning, 58 are dead. What happened? We'll find out today on Talks Talk with Dr. Scott Fritz. This is Bovine Science with BCI. I'm Brad White. Good morning, Scott. How's it going today? Good. You always bring us the really interesting cases. So this is one that, that starts out with a lot of cows that ended up that had died. And sudden death like this, we always think about calling the Tox hotline or Dr. Fritz. Yeah, <laughs> so, your friendly neighborhood toxicologist. Exactly. So so what what are some of the first things that, that you start thinking about in a, in a case like this? Well, we've done a few of these with a you know, fairly similar history. Cows turned into a new environment and then several die. Um, this is pretty extreme. Red 58 head overnight is there's not many things that can do that to adult cows. Um, so it's actually a pretty short differential list. I mean, there's some things in, you know, nitrate we've talked about. We've talked about non-protein nitrogen in a, in a protein supplement. Some of the water deprivation cases can show like that. Um, so it's just, you, it brings up a lot of environmental questions. And, and in this case, there was no no history of feeding supplemental feed. Uh, the water presumably w was okay, would certainly want to check, but the very first action would be to get the remaining cattle out of oh. that area. Yep, step one, move them. Okay. Step two, call the call the veterinarian and figure out, because we're going to want to do necropsies on on some of these, yeah. right? More than one, less than 58 probably. Well, so that that's one of my questions, and I've, I've been into this before where you get into a scenario like this of how how many would you necropsy? Because I, I agree with more than one, less than 58. Can you narrow that range for me a little bit? It kind of depends what you find. If you can open them up and you're starting to see similar things and you get to, you know, three, four, five, and they're all the same, you can probably stop. Um, occasionally, you know, it's not... In a setting like this, they're probably all from the same thing, just with the time course. But you you see other cases where there's multiple different things going on, and one you know two different cows may die from a different disease process, and so you just need to do as many as you need to do until you're confident in what's actually happening. But you but you're probably if you're ballpark parking, you're talking five or six. Yeah, I mean adult cows, that's going to be a pretty good body of work, and and you know maybe three is enough. I don't know. It just depends on what you're finding. Depends on how energetic yeah. you are that morning. How hot it is and all those other factors. <laughs> so, but, but on those necropsies, you're also probably going to take some samples. You've talked before, probably in addition to the, and so I don't forget, I would probably want to do that first. Case like this, I'm thinking toxicology exposure, I'd probably go grab a water sample. If there was feed that they were supplementing, I'd grab a feed sample and then I, or two, and then I would start on my toxicology workup doing the gross necropsy. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, and the, the gross necropsy is going to guide your sample selection a lot of times. In a case like this, I think you want to really maximize your ability to make a diagnosis. And so you may lean a little bit towards being, you know, including more things than usual in your submission. Okay. So what'd you, what'd you, what did they find on gross necropsy in this case? There really wasn't any findings at all. And those are when people really get frustrated because they're out there and they, you know, there's really no explanation for what's happening. This, which, this is why I asked you how many, because you get to, you, get, you open up a couple and you don't see anything. You're tempted to just keep going until you find something. But there are some of these that, 
we won't see a lot of gross lesions. Yeah. Which isn't uncommon with acute death like this, you know. And by acute death, I mean like they're alive, exposed, and then dead in under 24 hours. Yeah. And so a, a lot of the processes that do that, they won't leave lesions, and so that's, there's not a lot to see grossly on necropsy. Which, which sometimes we'll see on necropsy, and we've seen this on other things, uh, petechia, ecmosis, especially on the heart, you'll see some of those type lesions which don't necessarily have to be associated with a, they're not associated with a specific toxin or disease pathology as much as agonal death, right? When you get to that point and you're losing blood supply, you get those petechia and ecmosis, especially on the heart. Is that your experience? Yeah, for sure. Yep. And those are, they're just non, yeah, again, agonal nonspecific changes from agonal death. And it, it probably has to do with some with blood partitioning and, you know, as those animals go recumbent and you've got all the abdominal cavity pushing back on circulation. And that's, you know, that's a pathologist question at that point, but uh, that's they're again non-specific. Okay, so we open up five or six of these. We're not finding anything, and we decide five or six of nothing is is enough to say I don't know what this is. I'm gonna start taking samples. Give me. I know you've told me before, but give me the rundown again. In this case, unknown, but pretty sure it's a toxin of some sort. What samples should I put in the grab bag? So if we just start from a cow open. You know, you're going to have access to thoracic and the abdominal cavity. So I would, I just go front to back. And so I'm going to grab the heart. Um, there's a few things, you know, we've talked about. We've had an ionophore case on here before. You may see some gross changes there, but throw some heart in for histopath evaluation. There's probably not going to be much change in the lungs. It, it won't be helpful in this particular case. Um, and the next one, liver is the, the main metabolic organ in the entire body. And so that's almost always a good sample to at least take for submission and then I honestly you know I'll open the rumen at that point take some rumen content um, rumen content can be difficult to work through you need to take you know a handful from multiple different sections commingle that and then that should be sealed and frozen um, as fast as possible because a lot of the things we're looking for in there are going to either be volatile or they're going to change as the rumen microbes you know do their thing in there. Kidneys a great one it's most of the things we deal with are going to be excreted through the kidney so we need fresh and fixed liver kidney um, fresh rumen content and then again anything you see abnormal um, it doesn't hurt to throw some skeletal muscle in there and then back to the front if you you know a lot of the things that cause acute death like this are neurotoxins and so it's probably appropriate to knock the brain out of there and submit half fixed and half fresh so we can do some histo histologic evaluation and any of the um, analytical testing that we may need to do and then the ocular fluid yep so just to just to summarize the the list that you've said because i think this is a good list to maybe stick on a post-it or stick in the back of your truck just remember if i think i have a tox case for histopath i'm going to collect heart liver kidney skeletal muscle and half a brain fresh i'm going to collect liver and maybe kidney but then i'm also going to collect rumen sample multiple spots ziploc bag seal it and freeze it and then i'm going to collect ocular fluid and half a brain half a brain yep so for the I, I i do want to make the comment on the half a brain that's going to be fixed i have to be sure that i get that in adequate formalin right because everything else i'm taking a small sample of and i'm putting in a formula jar i've got on my truck for the half a brain what's your recommendation what's the best thing to put that in how much formalin do i need for half a brain we should consult a pathologist on that i don't look at them on the side but my no. guess is they would probably rather you section those down to quarter inch yeah. slices or so and then just make sure there's adequate formalin you know don't put yep. half a brain in a four ounce container right put it in a Correct. you know maybe a liter 
of formalin and just make sure that they're fairly thin because it's you know that stuff is not doesn't fix that fast correct especially if you if you have a cow and you put it in there then yeah absolutely so then ocular fluid re refresh me how much do i want and how do i get that so the answer is as much as you can get um, a full grown adult cow you can probably get two mils you know fairly regularly and you want it out of the anterior chamber um, so pick a syringe that fits your hand with an adequate needle that's you know there's a balance between not making a big hole in the eye so all the fluid runs out but also having a big enough diameter so if there's some particulate matter sometimes the iris starts to degrade fairly quick um, that you can still pull that through the needle so 18 gauge 16 gauge somewhere yeah. in that range um, go in the anterior chamber so you want the aqueous humor not the vitreous and then if you can get two mils, you know, one mil is enough, but if whatever you get, um, just send it all. So small strand, 16 gauge needle or 18 gauge, get it, get a little bit. And then do I need to, you, you mentioned very clearly on the rumen tissues or rumen samples, freeze those, freeze the other things as well, or just refrigerate it on ocular fluid, the liver, the brain? You can freeze it. Um, the fixed stuff, obviously you don't want to freeze. The other stuff you can freeze it, but if you're going to send it, you know, if you're going to sit on it overnight, send it the next morning, just freeze the rumen content. The rest of that stuff can stay thawed. Okay. So, so far we have 58 dead cows. It's not been a good day. I've got feed samples. I've got water samples. I've done six necropsies and found nothing except a little bit of petechia and ecmosis. I collected a lot more samples. So besides not being in the most chipper of moods what what else do i want to do next because i'm thinking i may want to walk that pasture what should be some of the things i'm looking for yeah we just we need to find out what's in the pasture in this case it was actually a, a cultivated field um, so you need to find out what's actually growing in there or even if it's a pasture what are the predominant species where are the cows been spending their time is there evidence that they've grazed a certain area more than others um, so those environmental walkthroughs i think can be pretty important what'd you what'd you find in this case so it was cultivated field of so this was a forage sorghum that had already been baled and it was they were they turned the cows back into the stubble and so that to me right i'm like it's a nitrate case because it you know our, our sorghums uh the johnson grass the sudan hybrids even corn stalks are nitrate risks um, that's usually the lower part of the plant where the concentration is the highest, which is consequently what's left behind after you combine it. Um, so that was the first thing that popped up in my brain um, when I got the history. Now, now is that when you're thinking the nitrate, you're thinking the, the short stubble, smaller part of the plant is, is where I would be in most danger. And then how does weather play a role in this or the concentration or what else might be going on in that plant? So weather, I mean, that's the frustrating part with all toxic plants is growth conditions can change the concentration of whatever. And so plant toxicities, one, it's either a, a toxic principle that's inherently contained within the plant tissue, or it's an overaccumulation of normal, whether that's nitrate, selenium, some of these things that we deal with. Um, and so usually the, they kind of distribute from the ground up because it's whatever the plant's absorbing from the ground. Um, and then anything that stops photosynthesis, those plants are still going to absorb nitrogen. You know, we fertilize all this crop ground, they're going to absorb that nitrogen, they're just not going to burn it off. And so they're going to accumulate it that way. And then there's other things like prussic acid or cyanide, those are the same thing. Um, it's two different names for the same compound is another one that we worry about. And the same plants that are nitrate accumulators often are a, a potential cyanide concern too. Uh, but there's just there's a little bit different growth conditions that may support the cyanide over the nitrate diagnosis. 
Okay. So, and, and both of those nitrate cyanide could cause this sudden death that we're seeing in these animals with no other outward signs. Right. Yeah, they're actually almost clinically indistinguishable. They both, they affect the way blood delivers oxygen to tissue. Um, in the case of nitrate poisoning, it forms methemoglobin, which can't bind and distribute oxygen. In the case of cyanide, the blood is oversaturated, but it's the last step in the, in the uh, transport chain there. They can't release oxygen for the tissues to use. And so it's still tissue anoxia one way or the other. It's just the difference in the way the blood functions. So, so nitrate, let's see if I'm remembering this right. Nitrate is the one we, I would see the kind of brown blood with, and the cyanide, I should see the bright cherry red yeah. blood. It should almost look like arterial blood okay. when you pull it out of a vein. So at this point, I know toxin, I think I know the source with the plant. I've got 27 cows that are still alive and I got a bunch of samples to send to the lab I pulled them out of the pasture do I need to do anything else or treat or try to prevent any issues in those cows while I'm waiting on lab samples what do I do with the ones that are standing there alive you need to look at them I mean that's the main thing because you should see if they're going to be clinical they're going to have dyspnea maybe so just think of they're essentially suffocating it's not because of lack of air but the body's going to perceive it that way so they're going to have a rapid heart rate. They're going to heart rate. They're going to be agitated. They're going to be dyspneic. Um, if they're not doing that and they're, you know, appear clinically normal, it shouldn't be a problem because this is a, a very acute process. Um, for either one of those, they're going to be dead in an hour or two. So, so either dead or not dead. I'm not changing changing the course. Correct. Okay. All right. So send samples off to the lab. What do you, what do you find in this case? So like I said, our primary rule out was a nitrate case, and so we did ocular nitrate, and it was negative. Um, we also ran the ammonia and the ocular fluid just because we can do those, you know, back-to-back, -back, and a lot of times we'll do them both. You never know with a fertilizer application, some of those things we hadn't had the questions answered to yet. So that would be trying to make a non-protein nitrogen diagnosis. Uh, both of those were negative, and I recall the histo, actually, even the histopath on all those tissues, there really were no findings whatsoever. Then where do you go from there? So we still haven't ruled out cyanide, and so that's, you know, we don't actually do that one here. That's a referral test for us at this point. We're still getting it set up. Um, so we referred the liver because some of the metabolism of cyanide happens in the liver, and it contained, you know, we found it. And it's a pretty, there's really not a great threshold in tissue. It's somewhere above one part per million is suspect, but when you stack that with a huge die-off like this and grazing a plant that can contain cyanide, that's you know maybe the best you can do at that point. It's in the liver, so it was there, and then the clinical signs kind of match up for us. So tell me a little bit more about how does that cyanide work as it goes through the, as it goes through the plant, gets into the cow, what are situations I'd be concerned or not concerned about it? All right, this is gonna get a little windy. Okay. Um, so cyanide is actually present in plants as a cyanogenic glycoside. So it's, it can become cyanide, but it's bound to a couple sugar molecules. And it is contained within lysosomes in the plant cells. And there is an enzyme in the cytosol that cleaves the sugar off and makes it an active cyanide at that point. Those are kept separate most of the time. Now when you have an animal like a ruminant that goes and chews that plant and masticates it, they break those cells. It goes in the rumen and those microbes can bust those cells open because they're efficient at digesting that. It releases the cyanide in, or the, combines the pre-cyanide with the enzyme, makes active cyanide. They're going to absorb it into the bloodstream. Um, and there's some other things. So you think... So, it, so it's not, the plant is not actually high in cyanide. It's after the ruminant eats it, it's got the precursor that it then in the rumen creates cyanide. Is that what you're saying? 
in some cases. In other cases, it can be high. So we think of frost as a, you know, everybody talks about frost. You even go with just mechanical damage of any sort. When you bust those cells apart and the cyanide, the cyanogenic glycoside comes into contact with the enzyme, now the cyanide content's gonna go up. The good thing about cyanide is it's pretty volatile, so it's gonna come off over time. And so we've seen cases where, you know, if the, they're chopping it for silage, per se, and if it, you know, they spill a bunch. I had a case where they turned cows in to clean up the spills and it, it had some issues. We killed some acutely. If they would have waited a week, you know, ish, that cyanide would have volatilized off and it wouldn't have been a problem. So, so kind of after in our, in our plants that have cyanide, so th- let's think sorghums because that's what you're talking about. So sorghum, I get a hard frost, it freezes, it's got all that cyanide as you release. Now it's actually in the plant. If they consume it, we're in trouble. But if I wait a few days, a week, it's going to go away. Yeah, hopefully enough to where it's not a problem. I mean, there's cases where it can be super concentrated, where it just doesn't dissipate enough in that amount of time. But that's why we don't run into cyanide and hay and silages, that kind of thing, because it goes yeah. away over time. So in, in this case, though, it doesn't have to be frost plant, because I think of cyanide typically exactly what you said, frost, uh, plant damage, drought, that that leaf is turning brown, and if I wait, I'll be okay. But in this case, it was small, young, growing plants, and they had the precursor that when the cattle ate it, is that more so in small, young, growing plants? Yeah, so that's the big risk factor is, at least in this case, was we caught a, you know, caught a late rain here in late September, and a lot of that, that sorghum was able to regrow. And the young, growing plants, it's just super concentrated in there. And if, you know, the Rule of thumb is under two feet. I usually just say knee high. If it's under knee high, um, you're going to have a, a pretty significant risk there in fresh growing plants too. And so when those cows went and foraged, because that's what they're going to pick, right? The succulent young growth like that. And when they masticate it and the rumen gets after it, it releases a bunch of cyanide. And they're able to metabolize that normally, but you just get so much. It's a, a rate thing. And the, the rate of consumption outpaces the rate of excretion. And so it builds up and then you run into a case like this so if i have what what are some of the we've talked about sorghums are there other plants that you're concerned about this cyanide toxic if i have and let's go to the scenario not frost or weather damage but young growing plants that i'm concerned about this precursor what which plants should i be worried about well so those in the sorghum families are the ones we deal with the most um the forage sorghums are shatter cane some of the Johnson grass, Sudan grass, the Sudan hybrids, even corn itself um, can be a problem. And then there's a, a forage grass called arrow grass that we've run into problems with occasionally. Um, I don't know if it grows that well around here, but in some places of the country, that can be a problem too. So what do I do? How do I, how do I prevent this? I, I'm guessing, based on what you said, wait, don't graze it when it's small, young, succulent, or after the first really hard frost where I get a good kill, then I could graze it. Now, nutrition-wise, that's a different discussion, but safety-wise is what I'm asking. Yeah, that's exactly right. So either wait till it gets taller than two feet. Um, if you get a hard frost, wait for a week after the fact. Really, the, the best answer is probably just to test it. So it's, the, it's usually prussic acid will be what you're testing for. It's just another name for cyanide. It's a pretty cheap analysis. I think you're 15, 20 bucks. Um, to get that done now you throw in another question of how many you know how do you take those samples we do your best to get a representative sample of the field 
um, and then get those turned in and have it tested and just get a number so you know where you're at risk-wise. Yeah, and I, I, I think in this case, the other thing I don't want to overlook because this is important, and I, I was kind of chiding about it a little bit earlier that you're not in a good mood, but this is emotions run high in cases like this. We have 58 dead out of 75, so both the producer and the veterinarian what are, what are some of the ways that you, you try to communicate to try to make it go as smoothly as possible? Obviously, this is a horrid situation. So what, what do you do? Yeah, it's, it's going to be horrible because your producer is going to be trying to dispose of 58 of his own cows that he potentially raised from calf on up. Um, the veterinarian's probably going to be, you know, kind of in the same situation, you know, trying to work through for his client and that sort of thing. So it's, from my end, it's just trying to be clear, concise communicator, not you know, over communicate because they're going to have quite a bit of work on their hands. I mean, do the best we can to reach a timely diagnosis as fast as we can. Um, and, you know, it's you review the risk factors and, you know, just kind of client education at that point and just remember those things because they do happen every year. You know, we'll run into cases all over the country um, just depending on growth conditions and it's, well, it's not going to be a good ending regardless. I, I think that's a good point. It's not going to be a good ending and finding the diagnosis while it tells us about this problem doesn't solve the actual problem because you mentioned some of the other things i mean there's the physical disposal aspect there's the emotional aspect there are some other areas to consider in in cases like this where i think it's really important have those conversations don't ignore them so most of us would tend to go okay well i've got to focus on what is the diagnosis but also say what else do i need to do do i talk do i need to talk to the environmental department in our area to figure out how we're going to dispose of these is there another area that i can help that producer get through this what may seem insurmountable hurdle yeah and the good news about it is you the remember we talked about cyanide being volatile if you can take one thing away from it the carcasses should be not an issue for disposal um it's just the physical aspect so there, there shouldn't be any environmental residue we need to worry about Okay. So this was uh, frustrating on multiple levels. We had lots of lots of dead animals. We ended up going in looking. Necropsy didn't show us anything grossly except a little bit of petechiae ecmosis. Uh, and then took samples. And just to refresh, you took fresh and fixed samples. Your histo samples or fixed samples were heart, liver, kidney, skeletal muscle, and one half a brain. Sounds like a recipe. Fresh samples were liver, uh, half a brain, ocular fluid, and then we took some rumen contents, put those in a Ziploc bag. The rumen contents I wanted to freeze, the others I wanted to wanted to keep cool. From that, found out in this case ended up being cyanide. Anything you'd have done different as you if you went back through this today? No, so these cases I guess are this one was fairly straightforward of a workup. You know, initially when we have find out that it's a forage sorghum, it was nitrate or cyanide. You know, we didn't know that there was the regrowth. That was a question that got asked later. And so those are both fairly straightforward to make a diagnosis with. So from that standpoint, I don't know that we'd change anything, but, you know, obviously there's some client education that would be good. And just remember, you know, maybe we should send out a blast every October. It says, hey, it's this time of year. You know, if we get that first hard frost, let's pay attention to what we're doing and what we're grazing at that point in time. Yeah, it's cyanide time. Which doesn't sound that appealing if you say it's cyanide time. No. And the, so there are antidotes for cyanide. The issue is, that, you know, they die fast enough where you can't get out there a lot of times. Um, so it's, you know, sodium nitrite itself sounds bad because you're going to make methemoglobin, but in this case you actually want to. And then um, there's the metabolism that the cows actually do normally 
is the, there's an enzyme called rodenes and they need a sulfur donor for that conversion to happen. And so you can actually give them thiosulfate, there's an enzyme already present and you can increase the excretion. And they actually are pretty effective if you get there in time, but that's the, the challenge. That's the problem is you, you don't have a lot of time with those. And you wanna be sure it's cyanide, not nitrate, if you're giving those treatments. Yeah, so if it's nitrate and you give sodium nitrite, you're gonna make it way worse. <laughs> don't want to do that so uh any place to get more resources if i'm interested in learning more about this yeah so the the bci's website we've got the show notes and the talks talk tab and then um, there'll be some other references within there that you can look up um and we we should put out a white paper i think and just a kind of a extension blast type thing for this yep excellent well appreciate you sharing with us thanks scott yep thanks for having me